This is a conversation with Stephen Terrell. Hi, Stephen. Hello, how are you? Hi, good. So, um, you work a lot with children? Yes, that's correct. Uh, my practice and focus of my practice is uh, developmental trauma. I work primarily with adopted children. Um, most of the adopted children I work with are Eastern European adoptions and gypsy adoptions, um, some domestic adoptions. Uh, all of my practice is based on developmental trauma. Even if I'm seeing young adults or adults, it's still going back to adults who had trauma in the first three years of their life that have um, affected their ability to um, maintain relationships. So a lot of my practice is surrounded by attachment and attachment ruptures. Okay, attachment, attachment ruptures, whether in children or uh, things that have originated in childhood and are affecting young adults. Yes, that's correct. And um, you have had uh, that practice. You have specialized in that way before you got to know about SE and trained in SE. Yes, that's, I, I got into um, working in trauma um, by adopting my oldest son when he was 15 months I knew that something wasn't quite clicking, and I was already a therapist. I was a registered play therapist at that point. I thought that I had a pretty good handle on children, and I was working. Um, I had a contract through Child Protective Services, so I was seeing a lot of child abuse. Uh, but my son presented completely different than anything that I had experienced. Uh, through trying to figure out what was going on, I ended up going to an attached conference in South Carolina, and he and I flew out there together, and I met some amazing people at that conference. And one of those people was Dan Hughes. And Dan Hughes is out, was out of Maine. He's now in Philadelphia. But I went to Maine for several summers and trained with him directly. He's an attachment specialist and trained in didactic developmental psychotherapy. Um, I also... I'm certified in EMDR, so I have several different tools along with being a registered play therapist of dealing with trauma, but he opened the door for me, and I got uh, some insight, some great insight in dealing with children. Um, what came about from that is in didactic developmental psychotherapy, of course, the didactic is the talking, and um, I kept running up against the wall with kids who were coming into my practice that were adopted or put into orphanages at time of birth. Because of them going into the orphanage immediately from the hospital and later discovered with a lot of Eastern European that these kids had spent, uh, some of them up to 90 days or longer, um, in the hospital before that placement to the orphanage and then being in large rooms with multiple caregivers, um, their attachments were completely ruptured. Uh, and these kids, because it was nonverbal, I just, I became aware and clearly saw that there's no way that these kids were ever going to be able to sit down and talk about what had happened to them or to, um, completely be able to, uh, communicate some of that early pain. I also realized that because of the developmental part, that there was a lot of neurobiology taking place and that things weren't quite working the way they should. I saw Stephen Porges at a conference 
um, an attached conference and his work with autism and sound. And I thought he's on to something later at an MD- EMDR conference in Denver. Um, a few years later, uh, Peter Levine spoke, and when Peter spoke, I was amazed. Uh, he was talking uh, to a very large group. It was packed house in Denver at the EMDR conference, and I thought, if, he, if there's ever a way, I want to take that training. And uh, a few years later, uh, it became available here in Austin, and so I, I took the training and uh, discovered that that nonverbal piece, um, realizing that the trauma lives in the body, was the key that I was missing in my practice, and started integrating, um, understanding that you know, let's just find out what's happening inside, and getting kids to uh, start noticing their feelings and their movements and their um, their sensations, and through the the SC training, I when I went to advanced, I had Steve Hoskins and uh, Kathy Kane were the two people, and when we got into touch and doing table work, I knew I wanted to know more, um, and then went to uh, Canada and to Berkeley back and forth between Victoria and Berkeley, and trained with Kathy. Uh, really got closer and deeper into understanding the nonverbal piece. And um, SC has taken me to that place um, that I don't think I could have gotten to or I wasn't finding the way to that place. I knew there was something missing, but I wasn't sure what. But now that I work more in a nonverbal um, milieu, it's, it's, it's amazing to, to watch and to see the results and to see the changes that take place um, dealing with uh, beginning, um, I do a lot of work in regulation in the very beginning of the, when the client uh, first begins coming to therapy. I also, because I'm working in attachment, my therapy is set up a little bit different. My therapy room appears a little bit different probably than, um, a lot of therapists because I use, um, a small trampoline in my office. I have a, um, a therapeutic table, a massage type table that I call an SC table and a sand tray, uh, with sand tray toys. So, uh, you're working with a kid who is relatively young and, uh, you start with working in the sandbox or on the trampoline? Um, I, Almost always start with the trampoline. The sandbox is closed and kind of a hidden item, and the sand toys are all hidden, so the child doesn't even know they're there in the beginning of the of their therapy process. Um, the trampoline is where I normally begin, uh, and I work with kids. I have uh, just recently worked with a newborn that was just a few days old who was having a very difficult time with regulation, and I work with kids all the way up to young adults. Um, because of the nature of my work and working with kids who are um, dealing with developmental trauma uh, and understanding that their development has been uh, affected because of the trauma, I see all, everyone I see as young kids. So um, it's watching the regression and the progression both going back and forth. But I use the trampoline as a, a means of check-in. 
And it's also um, a means of connection between the child and myself. While I'm attuning in, um, the child be- begins to bounce. Um, and by bouncing up and down, I will do some midline work while I'll have them cross, uh, go from their left foot to their right foot, back and forth, uh, do some left and right hand crossing. Some kids are really can hop back and forth and kind of swing their hips. Um, some kids I'll have marching uh, because of some left or right brain deficiency. Uh, they're not always able to do that, but when they're on the trampoline, it improves their ability. Uh, the trampoline is also a, an awesome way for me to be able to uh, begin the, the co-regulation process uh, by attuning to them while they're doing their work. I'm asking them how their week has been. I'm commenting on their affect as they're bouncing. I want to know if they've had any outbursts, if there's been any fits or tantrums. I want to know um, how they're getting along at school, if they're in school or if they're in daycare, or how they're getting along at home. Um, during this process, uh, the, the parent is normally sitting within a few feet of me. Mm-hmm. Um, in the intake process, uh, parents are told that they will be attending all therapy with their children, regardless of age. Um, I prefer the mom so that we can do uh, really early connection work. So it's the, sometimes the mom will say something about their week, and we just kind of process that before uh, moving forward to the table, where we begin doing adrenal and kidney uh, regulation. So that part on the trampoline, is that something that you used to do before you went into SE? No. Okay. It's something that I've added since uh, starting SE. Um, it's uh, basically about get working on the midline and being, being able to work a little bit on auto-regulation. It is more um, auto-regulation is what happens at birth, and because that's when the, the child's ability to regulate themselves when they become upset or mm-hmm. tearful. And uh, oftentimes when I see kids, uh, I might see a 15-year-old that's still banging their head trying to get their auto-regulation. So I use the trampoline as an intervention in there and um, as an SE tool. It's I use it just like I use my ball. I, you know, I, I use it as just another... SE tool that um, I'm able to ask the child, you know, what are you noticing in your body while you're bouncing? What does it feel like when you're on the left foot, on the right foot? What is it? What is that that um, feeling like to you? Um, with some kids, if they're having a difficult time with midline, I'll have them just stand on the trampoline and not bounce at all, and we might um, do some patty cake. Um, I do a lot of patty cake in my office, mm-hmm. a lot of midline work, uh, working on the left brain and right brain because we know that the right brain is what comes online first. The left brain comes on, you know, two to three. So we, with that right brain, we, we want to be sure that it's fully developed and functioning um, and it's connected to the left brain. And by doing those midline exercises, we begin to um, notice change. And those are also exercises that the parents can continue with at home during the week. Um, it gives them something to work on. Yeah, yeah. So, so from the very beginning of the session, uh, you're already paying attention to uh, 
to the uh, experiencing and regulating. Yes, attunement and um, observation and listening, those are huge skills that, you know, we learn that are, are amplified in the SC training. We learn that even more in depth, that ability to um, sit with someone, to be able to, to watch their body, to let them um, give them time to notice what's happening in their left foot or their right foot without um, jumping in and trying to give them the answer. Mm-hmm. So how is it, by the way, um, for a parent uh, to, uh, to attend to this? And I'm assuming it's a new experience for the parent uh, when they start attending a session with their children to, to, um, to pay attention to the child in the process of regulating. Well, one of the things that parents tell me over and over and over again is that they're relieved to be in the session. They feel, um, you know, we get into the, the, the shame category. Now, think about an adoptive parent for a moment, and you think, you know, here I am a mom. Um, for some reason, um, the majority of the moms I see were not able to conceive. They had fertility issues. They went through a lot of processes that were very invasive on their bodies and they still um, did not reach a level of success so their shame is already there and then they get told okay I'm going to adopt and I'm going to go and I'm going to get this child and if I love them enough then they'll be wonderful children and they'll grow up and I'll have the experience of being a mom and then they come home from um, Russia for example and it's not long they, f- they start feeling shame because they're not connecting with the child. And the more shame they feel, they start putting up this barrier to where they're no longer connecting. Um, and they feel very frustrated and very much um, hopeless. Uh, many parents, when they come in to my office, um, they travel from all over the United States and Mexico. I have clients coming in. And they've, they're very saddened and they're at the point of terminating parental rights or putting children into residential treatment centers for the rest of their lives. Um, these are pretty severely uh, traumatized children that I see and these are uh, normally pretty um, uh, difficult cases to begin with. So when the parent is in the room and they're able to participate in the child's therapy, it starts to um, give them a, a sense of success, a sense of of connection. You know, that connection is usually through me first. Mm-hmm. Is you know, I'm the attachment figure in the room. The child is more than likely going to attach to me, but so does the parent. The yeah. parent will start. And I attaching to me, and I become kind of like the conduit that's taking the attachment from the the mom to me to the child, from the child to me to the mom, yeah. and it kind of moves back and forth through the process, and through that attachment to me, I'm able to transfer and fully move out and let the mom com- and let the child attach to the parent. But uh, in the beginning, it's it's very difficult, and the parent, you know, they're quick to say, oh, well, this won't work, or this might not work. So they're told before they ever come to therapy with me that you're going to be in the session, 
and you're also not going to talk unless I talk to you. And in the beginning, I just want you to kind of lay back and just to be present and to be warm and open and connected. It's very important that to teach a parent to stay focused. Um, we do some filial therapy uh, is another uh, type of therapy where the parent, when they take the child home, that's uh, it's exercises for them to do every day where they just kind of sit with the child and not play with the child, but sit with the child while the child is playing and building relationship. And that starts in the therapy room and carries over. So um, along with teaching the parent how to put their hands on their child's kidney, how to, when the child's on the table, um, it's a huge process when you see a mom put her hand under her child who she's feeling very alienated and a lot of shame around. And all of a sudden that kidney begins to move and that child begins to regulate and she's feeling that in her hand. Um, and to see the look on her face when all of a sudden she realizes, oh yeah, this is my child. Mm. This is why I became a mom. Mm. And sometimes that's only for a moment. But that moment is a memory that grows and expands in the brain and lasts a lifetime. Those inner subjective moments are very powerful. So just as you talk, it's um, I'm experiencing so much emotion as you um, describe these moments. And um, it really gives a sense of um, that what's happening is that healing attachment and, um, and that, uh, you know, the healing happens not just for the child, but there's also uh, that transformation of the relationship between the child and the parent into one where there is the possibility of connection and the possibility of um, responsiveness. When you describe the mother touching uh, the child and sensing the change, uh, it's that possibility of the connection happening where before there was the failure of connection. Exactly. And it's, it's proven over and over in my practice that if I have a a mother who is not able to make that connection because her shame and her guilt or her feelings are so great, I have to stop. I stop therapy with the child for a while, and I might work several sessions just doing basic, um, if there's such a word as basic, uh, SD, doing somatic experiencing with her sitting on the couch in a regular session. We're just letting her talk about um, her emotions and, and the blocks she's experiencing and the anger and working through her body and allowing her to process that information and move those blocks out of the way um, to expand her ability to connect with the child. Some, some moms and dads, for sure, are already spent. Their ability to attune is not present because they are so exhausted with this child who, you know, maybe lying, stealing, cheating, kicking, hitting, biting them on a daily basis. And they're so worn out that they, they can't find a connection. They're not able to get past their own trauma because kids who are traumatized have this unbelievable gift surge of, um, installing buttons in the parents so rapidly of every issue that that parent ever had 
uh, in their life developmentally growing up that wasn't completed and pushing those buttons to activate the parent, to keep mm. the parent. You know, th- their um, goal seems to be a goal of not connecting. I can't trust you. Why should I trust you? I was left all alone in the... The transference from the birth mother or the early experience in that nonverbal period is huge because the mom who's sitting there, if it's an adoptive mom, becomes the birth mom. She's the mother of all mothers. Mm-hmm. So that child doesn't want to connect. Sometimes some children won't let the mother touch them at all. Uh, so I'll have that child, that mother, she may need to sit with <clears throat> excuse me, sit next to me and I might put one hand on her kidney and one hand on her child's kidney or I might have her put a hand on my kidney or on my shoulder, you know, depending on what level of comfort we've established in the in the rela- therapeutic relationship and let the child see what it looks like for the mom to touch someone and there not be any pain involved. Yeah. That she's not hurting me or I'm not hurting her and it's transformative. It's truly transformative to watch the healing as it occurs. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, that uh, that sense of family dynamics is not at all an abstract concept, but no. uh, you see it at a body level. Oh, yes. Um, Daniel Siegel wrote a book, Parenting from the Inside Out. And it's a great book for parents who have children that are getting somatic experiencing. It's a good tie-in book uh, because he talks about the parents' issues and how those issues become so alive and so bold and so um, uh, so prominent in their life that they have to be worked through. So it, it is a combination, and the family dynamic is very important. Yeah, yeah. So you're as you're describing these treatments, and you say parents are coming from far. So yes. in a treatment this way, um, do they come to see you repeatedly? Is there uh, some kind of semi-residential concentrated treatment? How does it work when people uh, work from uh, come to see you from a large, uh, far distance? Well, for parents. Excuse me, parents within the state, um, I have quite a few families who will drive three to six hours one way. They come in on a weekly basis, Mm -hmm. and I see the child for uh, normally um, 45 to 90 minutes, depending on the child and where we are in therapy. Um, Parents who fly in, they'll come in every other week or once a month, depending on their ability to do that. In between those sessions, I normally am either Skyping the mom or the mom and I are talking on uh, on the phone on a weekly basis, doing check-in to find out, and I'm more in a coaching situation at that moment with them. But then when they come in, um, when they're coming in once a month, they, they're normally in a at least a three-hour session to where we get a, a whole lot more work done. Um, a more concentrated work. And those families, uh, normally they'll fly in and fly out in the same day. Um, some, if they're staying for several days, will, um, there's a hotel, um, within walking distance of my office and they'll stay in the hotel 
and walk over for sessions. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, you use the word coaching for people at a distance. So because part of the treatment involves the parents, um, you know, among other things, touching, for instance, the kidneys and yes. uh, and establishing that relationship. So part of the treatment is actually that uh, you know that introducing a new way of contact of touching with the children. Yes, and it's a new way of parenting, too, because we get away from, um, by the time I get parents, they've normally spanked and screamed and yelled and threatened and um, punished in every imaginable way. And a lot of the uh, part of my treatment is teaching the parent, working with the parent to understand that a child with developmental trauma punishment um, any sort of normal type of punishments are not going to work. Um, not separating from the child, not sending a child to the, their room, um, not punishing them with any sort of corporal punishment, not doing anything um, in anger, and more about um, asking them the self the question, is this uh, punishment that I'm about to do, is it going to bring the child closer to me or push our relationship further apart? So I'm more about time in, having the child sit on the sofa with the parent right there, um, working with the kidneys or just laying a hand on their leg or their shoulder um, for the parent to calm down, for the parent to be aware of their body sensations. And if they're activated, not to interact with the child at that moment, to be clear that you know they need to um, work on their own activation first. Uh, in order for that child to co-regulate uh, off that parent, they'd have, they have to have a, a level of trust, but the parent also has to be calm. A parent can't be um, screaming and yelling and expect to connect. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of repair. You know, parents end up, you know, we're not perfect. You know, as we learned a long time ago that the good enough parent, you know, she said clearly that, you know, 70, 80%, you know, we don't have to hit it all the time. But it is important that we go back in and repair those attachment ruptures that we say, you know, when you did, when you spilled your cereal this morning and I screamed at you, I'm really sorry I did that. Will you please forgive me? And being sincere and understanding the parent taking responsibility, it's very difficult for parents to find that place of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, but not just, as you say, because it's a one-time thing. It's when you spill yes. the cereal this morning. But because by the time the parents see you, they're already at the end of their rope, and they were uh, in a pattern of despair and anger and punishment, which was probably further alienating the children and making it harder to come to a place of trust. So changing yes. the dynamic and um, and uh, must be an, in, in, in incredibly... Um, uh, difficult or powerful thing to, to happen. It's very powerful. And some parents, uh, because of the severity of the child or time restraints or availability on my part, I send to other SAPs here in the Austin area, and they work with other um, therapists who only work with adults. So, you know, it, using SC with the, the whole family is extremely important, extremely important. Yeah. So, Steve, it feels like we've touched a little 
on some of it, and I'm sure that um, it's only a, a small part of the whole thing, but given the limited time um, we're going to be ending, is there something that you might want to add as a, as a conclusion to this uh, little introduction? I would think, um, one thing that I think is extremely important or has been from my work um, is to understand that you know, the trauma does lie in the body. Uh, it's being contained in the body. Uh, using touch therapy, uh, I know there's a lot of fear out there. People say, oh, how can you touch a child? Well, there's a lot of releases, and there's things that take place. And you do all your upfront work before you you move into a therapeutic session. And understanding, you know, Kathy's work has... Uh, changed um, myself. It's changed my relationship with my children. It's changed my practice uh, 100%. Um, it's changed how I look at life. Uh, it gives me much more clarity, um, my ability to touch, to heal, to see the work as healing, to see the work as, um, as a, a faith, um, the faith is that our bodies are created to heal themselves and that trauma is not only psychological, as Peter says, but it's also physiological. And understanding the physiological trauma can heal itself if that child or adult is put in a place where things are um, regulated and in the right moment, in the right time, anyone can heal. And having the faith that this is not, you know, it's not going to happen overnight with some kids. Um, I see some kids up to two, three years of working through trauma. Some I see, you know, much shorter periods, three to six months. But uh, depending on the severity, a, a Russian gypsy uh, boy that I, I saw him for three and a half years, um, he had been brutally assaulted in the orphanage uh, because of being gypsy. Uh, coming to the United States, he was his parents were told by psychiatrists and psychologists to save their money because they would hospitalize him for the rest of his life in a mental institution. And today he is a very happy seventh grader attending public school. He makes all A's and at all <laughs> advanced classes. Uh, we do have to put some little guidelines in place with the school where they realize that if he needs to leave class and regulate, they let him do it. But he's totally successful. He's living at home. He's on no medication whatsoever. Uh, normal, happy life. Uh, I check in with the mom, checks in with me every month or so and lets me know how it's going. And if we need to do a checkup, he comes up and I put him on the table and we regulate. But he, you know, it's an amazing process to see a child heal and understand that as they hit new developmental milestones, they'll come back into therapy. We might, uh, you know, I might see him for a short while and then I let him go and I might see him again. Mm-hmm. Under you know where they are developmentally in their life, so um, SE and touch together that you know both of those experiences have been an amazing change in my life and how I see healing occur, Serge. Yeah. 
This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com.